I have a quick update for you on 12 Neighbors. Many of you uh, joined with us in the, in the past week and uh, helped us to top up to $12,254.25. And so what you need to know about the tangible part of that gift is that 12000 is what it takes for the, the cost of labor for, for one home. And so as, as a community here, Crosspoint's able to cover that for, for one home. Isn't that awesome? I think that's really good news. And, uh, and I'm sure you'll be excited that we're going to be able to hand a check off to them and they're going to be able to use that quickly. And I know many of you are participating in different ways. And so um, let's pray that that, that gift is, is really helpful in our community. We love our city and this is one way that we get to show it. So thank you so much. Uh, if, if you gave in a way that um, we know exactly who you are, there's a thank you card out at the hello desk, and so please pick one up after. And for those online that were able to give an e-transfer, um, if you're not able to pick it up, we're going to send that in the mail, drop it off for you, and so thank you as well. Uh, there's been a couple questions that have come up uh, in my way. Many of you have asked this, many of you even knowing when I was about to candidate for the position of, of the lead role here, people were wondering, well, what are you going to do about music? You're still going to play and sing sometimes, right? And it was almost like that was more of a concern than the future or like the leadership or the preacher. I see you, Jen Hood. Jen's vote was conditional on that I had to still play music every now and then. I had to still, right? As, as I know many of you, uh, it would be the same. And obviously, I'm not going to stop playing the guitar. I'm going to keep my fingers callous. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll actually play next week, which is a good reminder. Mother's Day next week. Come next week. It's going to be good. Um, but yeah, something like Good Friday, like that was, that was awesome. And then um, I got to also participate with Easter, uh, Easter weekend, that whole celebration. And so that's been good. I, I finished up teaching uh, guitar through Kingswood after 10 years. I mentioned that last week. I was able to, to wrap that up. So that's going to be on pause. Things like that will obviously need to go aside. But the question is kind of two, twofold, isn't it? It's uh, what are you going to do? And then most of you uh, with an intuitive kind of nature are like, well, how are you doing two jobs at once? How are you doing some of this behind the scenes or even uh, up on stage? Uh, what are you going to do? You can't do that long term, right? No, you can't. And so I have some good news for you. Do you know what I'm going to say already? I would love to announce to you a worship and creative director going forward. Yeah. Blair Nicole. Uh, I've known Blair for 11 years at least, somewhere around there. Uh, when I worked at Tony's Music Box for a while, I remember Fred Weber coming in, her father, and uh, trying to get my help. You know, uh, he needed to get his daughter a really good guitar. She's a songwriter. She was performing in high school and things like that. And uh, I remember, do, do you remember trying to pick out your first tailor? Do you remember that? I think we spent a few hours, like, trading back and forth. Like, you try this. Like, how does it sound? How does it feel? You know, all those things. Um, and then I got to become her, her youth pastor. Uh, which was also really great. We got to serve together a few different summers at two different churches, which was really cool as well. And uh, her and John were just up on stage just a moment ago, and they're a great team. And so sometime in June, we're going to nail down the date soon, but, uh, but let's welcome John and Blair to the team. I think that's really good news. It's really good news for me, too, because... Uh, 
it answers the question that you've been waiting to hear about. Isn't that awesome? I think that's pretty cool. And so we're excited uh, for that going forward. Well, today, it's May 1. Were any of you singing Justin Timberlake yesterday uh, as you were getting ready to turn your calendar? No, that's okay. Anyway, so we're wrapping up a series called Crowns. We started it in, uh, in April, and it went through with, with Easter right in the middle. And so the whole point of this thing is that we were finding out why people were asking for a king in the first place. And so we went from King David, actually we went just before that, but we're going from King David, and then we went to Jesus, son of David. And we're going from Jesus wearing the crown of thorns, excuse me, to us laying down our crowns at the feet of Jesus, as Kenzie was just mentioning. And so it has to do with surrender, it has to do with worship. But there's this kind of concept that each of us has chosen to be our own king, as Timothy Keller puts it in his book. But see, this is the thing, is that Jesus, uh, in the very last chapter of the Bible, uh, confirms that, that he is both the source of David and the heir to his throne. It's one of those confusing things, because how can this one who comes after also be before, right? It's this fascinating kind of experience. And so we're going to look into it as, as we're wrapping up the series we began um, not just in 1 Samuel, but we, we actually began in Acts 13. There's this kind of summary that Paul is giving to both Jews that are listening and Gentiles, which would be everyone else. And he's kind of summarizing some things, and I wanted us to drop in kind of in the midst of this and, and read a portion that is really helpful for us to kind of tie the whole thing together before we move forward into our new content. But maybe this is a good refresher for some of you. Some of you, it might be just a reminder of what you know. And for others, you might be, I, I didn't really know that. I wasn't aware. And I'm, we're going to drop in at the time in verse 21 of Acts 13, where it says, then the people begged for a king. And so this is the whole concept of crowns. They wanted a king, a physical king like the other nations. And really what they were do doing is essentially they were rejecting the Lord as, as their king. And so this is the big problem here. So they begged for a king and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. And we had learned that first week how Saul was actually head and shoulders above everyone else, yet his character and his obedience to God was not. And so this is where the next line comes in. But Saul removed, sorry, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Isn't that awesome? So that first week when we were talking about this is a man after God's own heart, it's David. He will do everything I want him to do is, is how the Lord puts it. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised savior to Israel, which we found out more in week two. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I am not, but he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. We're gonna hear a little bit more about that later. And then he continues, brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. 
They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. And we recognized this and remembered this and participated uh, in a service on Good Friday to, to remember this. When they had done all the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. This good news is an announcement. This good news is, uh, is, is really the, the core of what we're going to talk about today. The promise was made to our ancestors, and now God has fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You were my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, for David, after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, it is a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for this series and all that um, it's brought to our attention. And Father, we do ask that you would help us to lay down whatever it is, even symbolically, uh, not that we have literal crowns personally, but that... Uh, Father, we would lay down everything before you. You're the only true king, the only one worthy of it all. And so as we look into your good news, as we look into how worthy you are, we just pray that we would uh, be able to feel your presence in this place, that, Father, you would um, allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me and illuminate your word now. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's some good news, and that's what we're going to talk about. You, you remember the line, extra, extra, read all about it. You probably know like the, the, the old newsboys way back. Anytime there was something uh, new to talk about, it gave them the opportunity to sell more newspapers or, or whatever. And so you'd hear the kids on the street and sometimes in the old movies or cartoons, extra, extra, read all about it. Well, I, I know that I didn't have to yell things like that, but I had a paper route when I was in high school. And I remember just realizing how many people of all ages appreciated getting the news. But, you know, the problem with receiving the news is that there's a lot of bad news. Have you ever noticed that? Is it just me? So you've probably also realized that there's, there's some movements going around, whether they're on social media trying to promote just good news or something I noticed during uh, lockdown in 2020 is on YouTube, John Krasinski, he's, uh, he's from The Office and, and other shows and things like that, but from his own home, he kind of made this kind of funny studio and, and it was meant to be really fun, but he would have people send in really good news stories, he would have different guests on. He even had uh, people on the uh, International Space Station do a recording and then, and then send it back to him. And his whole concept was, why is there not a news show dedicated entirely to good news? 
Well, it's because it doesn't make a lot of money. People want to hear, they want to be trapped in a cycle of bad news. But his whole concept was, what if we could share good news with people? Well, what is the good news? That's what we're really going to identify first. And uh, reading in Mark's gospel, we've been in Mark a lot lately because uh, this year we've already read Matthew together, most of us, and, and then went right on to the next one, Mark. And we believe Mark was probably the first one uh, recorded and the first one shared. John Mark, uh, you know, is, is someone who he himself was not an eyewitness, but he was with an eyewitness. And, and, and so everything here is something we believe that he got... Um, uh, from, from a source so that he could share with us. And uh, what I love is in, in the first chapter, this is the first, in, in, in my Bible, it's the red letter edition, so the words of Jesus are illuminated in, in red. It really stands out. So the first time that you see those red letters in this first chapter is verse 15, and, and I'll read this. These are the words of Jesus. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I want to read it again just, just so you catch what, what he's saying here because there's, there's actually sort of a summary here. The time promised by God has come at last. And, and in mind, they, they put an exclamation mark because th- this, is, this is good news. That alone is good news. And then he continues, the kingdom of God is near. That's also good news. And then this part, sometimes you, you picture someone on the street or, or, or standing on, on a carton or something like that, or maybe with a sandwich board. So sometimes this gets some bad press, but he says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. That's still, we're going to look into that here in a moment. So again, the, the way that I might paraphrase is that the time is here and the kingdom is near. This is the good news announcement. Does that make sense? The time is here, the kingdom is near. I like the here and near. Uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way, this can only mean that Israel's God himself is arriving at last to renew and restore his people. So this would have been received as, as good news to those listening, listening. And, you know, Jesus' whole life and teaching is wrapped up in this concept. You, you want me to say the gospel, and that, that is true, but the kingdom of God is this overarching kind of concept that we're looking into through this series of crowns, which, which takes us over this overarching from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is that we're really uncovering what the kingdom of God is. It's something that, that is, is coming and has already come, and it's coming and it's already come. It's, it's kind of here, and it's, and it's not quite, but it is, and, and it's one of those things that's kind of confusing because when Jesus arrives on the scene, he is the king, uh, but we know that at that moment he hasn't come into his, his full glory, and we, we know that he's still to return again, and so there's all these things that are to be made new, but he's already making things new, and so we're kind of in that messy middle, and so this is, this is the reality. John Stott wrote that the kingdom of God is a present reality, present reality, which we can receive, inherit, or enter now. And that's good news, is that we don't just have to wait for it later, but we can actually enter it, receive it, or inherit it now. And the big reminder as we look into all this terminology and and the different passages that we're going to explore today is that the gospel isn't advice. It's good news. 
The gospel isn't advice, it's good news. And so when you hear those phrases, repent and believe, we're, we're going to look at this now. This is the difference between them. And so uh, maybe it was week one where I was walking in, in one direction explaining how maybe you're going this way and the repent would be turned from. So this direction that you're going in from your sins, you're, you're to literally turn, but not just turn from that, but believe you're to turn to. Does this make sense? So you're on a path in this direction and how many degrees is this? 180? Some people like to say 360, and it's like, no, 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 don't go back to that. It's confusing, but please, you know, math is hard, but it doesn't have to be that hard. But repent is to turn from, it's to reverse course. You're going in this direction, and then you turn, but not just turn, but to to believe. So you turn from, that's repent, and believe is to turn to. I love just a little bit later in that um, uh, passage from Acts at, at kind of the end of that, it says how Paul and Barnabas, uh, the two of them, they urged them all to continue to rely on the grace of God. I love that, that kind of terminology. So again, they're, they're talking about, they're talking to uh, people who, uh, you know, understood the history of Israel and understood their need for this Messiah to come. And, and they were waiting for, for so many reasons. And then these, what they call God-fearing Gentiles, that's everyone else who is becoming a believer. And so sometimes people try to answer it this way or that. You know how everyone thinks like it's either this or it's that. It's hard for people to have the tension of what if it's a little bit of both. As in Judaism, is, is, it, is Christianity a continuation of, of that or is it something new? Yes. I, I think maybe it's both. And what we're seeing here from this whole crown series is that in some ways, yes, it's, it's this continuation because the promises of God, we, we see it now unfold in, in what we call the New Testament. But also Jesus is starting something brand new and that's why it was so radical, so hard for the, the Jews of the day to, to accept it because it was really challenging. How could this man be God? How, how is this possible? Even though many of them, you, you would see things be illuminated after, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. They'd be walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, he, he just reveals the understanding of, of the scriptures to them, and they're like, their eyes are open, and then they see it. I hope today, uh, those of you that it might still be fuzzy, that it becomes crystal clear. And so he's urging them to continue to rely on the grace of God. And so what it takes to, to, to turn from, from this to that and then to continue is to rely. And so what does that mean? Well, we're going to look at the grace of God before we look at exactly what that means. When I first received Christ, I remember going through a Bible that I had received when I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and, and I started uh, taking my pen and underlining it. Do, do any of you underline or make notes in the margins? Anyone? Yeah? I, I still do a lot of digital, but I'm, I'm getting back into making a mess of the thing. Like, there, there's, there's thing, last week I was telling you how I was writing like a heart on the side and a cross, and I was writing all these, you know, the, the dollar sign because we were looking at uh, our earthly treasures and things like that. And so in this, where I begin this passage, uh, where we're about to read, I have a heart, and then just, just a couple lines down, I have a cross next to it. And so to highlight this, when I was first understanding, what, what is grace? Like I'm saying amazing grace, but what, but what is it? Um, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, says, but God is so rich in mercy. We were just singing about this. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. 
It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then just a little bit lower, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And here it is, Paul, the one writing this, who of anyone could probably boast because of how he um, you know, worked hard at, at, at obeying the entire law, all the commandments, you know, 613 and, and probably other, others that we might have missed. But he was, you know, someone who could have boasted about that sort of perfection, but that's, that's not enough, is it? And so this, this is actually good news that we could continue to rely on grace. So what does that rely mean? Well, you'll see. Rely really means to depend. And the way I would put it is with full trust or, or full confidence. And, and the believe in this context would be to accept as true without proof. That's hard. Isn't that faith? To accept as true without proof. How many things do we have to do that with that we have to just accept that this is true without proof? Well, as we celebrated just two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. Easter represents the empty tomb. And uh, we're going to look at just a a moment. I'm going to read to you some of the uh, resurrected appearances of of Jesus. But this is a reminder for us is that I I can't prove this to you. I I have to, uh, first, I have to receive it in faith. And this is something that I believe. And I'll share this with you. uh, But it's up to you to choose to believe this. Because the gospel isn't just a story, is it? It's a life-changing power. And everything hinges on the understanding of, of the resurrection. Our, our faith really hinges upon that. And so I want to read what an author named Peter Williams uh, wrote, recording some of the, um, throughout the New Testament, the, the appearances of the resurrected Jesus. He says, the resurrected Jesus is recorded as appearing in Judea and in Galilee, in town and the countryside, indoors and outdoors, in the morning and in the evening, by prior appointment and without prior appointment, close and distant, on a hill by a lake, to groups of men and women, to individuals, or groups up to 500, sitting, standing, walking, eating, always talking. Many are explicitly close-up encounters involving conversations." Now, I want to share that to encourage your faith because the more uh, I've learned as I've followed Jesus is that there's actually incredible evidence that he did raise in, in many ways. Of course, we, we see this in, in Scripture. But even the fact that we're still here uh, isn't just because of a story. It's, it's because the tomb was empty and people started proclaiming the good news. So actually, John began this, and, and some commentators say that John could be considered the final Old Testament prophet. And really, when Jesus hits the scene and when John meets him face-to-face and says, no, I'm the one that should be baptized by you, and when John actually goes through that baptism, which is recorded in all four gospel accounts, the amazing thing there is that that's when the New Testament begins. Isn't that incredible? I think that's so cool. And so I want you to be encouraged by by this, is that that thing that we believe we accept as true, even without proof, well, some were able to see proof. 
And for some, that was all that needed to, to kickstart this movement, this way of Jesus, to help people to understand the good news. The good news that's not just advice of, you know, you should probably do this about your life. You should probably turn around. It's not just that, is it? It's an announcement that, that the time God promised is here finally. The kingdom of God is near. When Jesus shows up, the kingdom is near because he's there, he's embodying it in flesh and he will return. Isn't this good news? I love it. Uh, You know, the, the gospel invitation is follow me. We've talked about this for the last month or so is that, you know, there's one week where we had chairs to represent the come and see and then the follow me and then it moves down the line. Well, the gospel truly is, uh, don't, don't just hear the word like extra, extra, read all about it and that's it, just buy a copy. No, it's not for sale. It, it is a gift. And so for someone to receive that good news is that follow me. And what we're trying to see and what we're trying to illuminate in this entire series as we wrap it up today in Crowns is that the follow me, Jesus is, is inviting us to do that. It's to follow a king. He is a king who is worthy. He is the only one worthy of a crown. We've tried to repeat that week after week so that we really recognize that. So this whole concept of, of lay our crowns down in worship and surrender, this comes from Revelation. And sometimes Revelation can be um, a challenging text to, to read be, because it, it can scare us, it can, it can be daunting. Um, you know. And so I, I want to read just a, a portion of this to highlight this, this kind of concept that we get here that can symbolize this, this moment of surrender that any of us can have. And so I want to read from Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. We're kind of jumping in to the middle of a section, but I hope, I hope you see this clearly. It says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, and I love this, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. Again, just to make it crystal clear, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they existed because you created what you pleased. Isn't that cool? And so this concept, is it literally us? It doesn't have to literally be us for us to, to, to kind of take that imagery and, and make that our own, that concept of doing this. Um, the, the big takeaway is you are worthy. That, that's how it begins. And who are they saying this to? Jesus. And we've been singing this all, all morning, and so this is a great reminder to us. Um, are any of you familiar with Wayne's World? <laughs> Okay, one, two, three. Um, so I, I did not watch every single SNL sketch of this in preparation for this message. Of course, I would never do that. That would probably be inappropriate use of, uh, of my time and, and, uh, and, and for preparing for a sermon. So I would never do that. But what came to my mind here and, and in the thing we're going to look at following is that we're, we're saying here that, that Jesus, you are worthy. He is a king who is worthy. He's the only one worthy. But you know what it makes me think of, right? We're not worthy. Do you know what I'm getting at? So there was a sketch. Uh, are you guys with me? Is this okay? 
it's a helpful illustration, I think, really. And so there was one, I mean, there was, there's numerous on SNL before it became uh, a movie. And, and so I, I remember, you know, I think I was in a, a hockey camp, a UMB Reds camp, and, you know, I was in like fourth grade or something like that, probably when the movie came out. But long story short, I remember one of the guys helping us and, and giving us drills. We, we took kind of a water break, and he's like, anyone see that movie yet? And we're like, yeah, party on, Wayne, party on, Garth. And, and so the whole concept of the first time I probably saw this kind of sketch is that they're, they're in the company of this rock star, and, and they just can't believe that they're in the same room. And so they get on their knees, and they're just like, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. And that was my first interaction with understanding, what does that even mean? You know, I was a little bit young at the time, but this illuminates the, the idea that, we're, no, we're not worthy. And so it's not about the rock stars, but the other sketches that, they're, they're in Wayne's basement and, uh, you know, his mom's doing laundry or something and goes upstairs and they have this friend. It's actually Tom Hanks is on the show and his character is a roadie for Aerosmith, right, who apparently is coming to Bangor, like, soon. So how many of you guys already have tickets? Um, anyway, let's go. Um, and so they, uh, the whole idea is that they have this, like, community cable, cable show in Aurora and and uh, this roadie, who it, it's really Tom Hanks playing this part, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I got the guys. They're upstairs right now. They're like, they're, they're, they're in my breakfast nook. Like, they're just like, they're just, they can't believe that Aerosmith is really there. And this is like 1990 or something like that. But the long story short, they finally come down and they sing the theme with them. And, and especially Garth, you know, he, he just can't believe that they're there. And so the whole concept is like, I'm not worthy. That's kind of the idea. Well, you kind of noticed in the context of Acts uh, 13, and it's actually not just in Acts, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, he's the one to, to first proclaim that Jesus is coming. He's the one that was foretold about in Isaiah and other places that this, this one would come and prepare the way for the Lord. Well, John the Baptist over and over said that I'm not worthy to be his slave, being Jesus, and, and untie the straps of his sandal. To me, that's a powerful reminder. Why would it be in there, not just four, but five times? Why would it be in there so often unless we were supposed to take something from that? The concept here that I didn't realize maybe until this week, I, I always thought that was an amazing point of humility, and there's so much about John's story that's humbling, but really what stood out to me as I researched a little bit more is in this context, what he's saying is that and now he's speaking mostly to a, a Jewish audience, and, and he himself is, is Jewish. What he's saying here is that, you know, in, in this case, uh, a, a Jew could not be a slave to, to a Jew. And what he's saying is someone below that, he's, he's not even worthy to be that. D does that make sense? And in the context of, of a rabbi and a disciple relationship, disciples were supposed to serve not be a slave to, but serve their rabbi in any way possible, except they were not permitted to remove um, the, the sandals or, or, or footwear or anything like that because that would be demeaning. And what John's saying, he, he's making such an exaggerated statement of how low he is compared to Jesus. It's, it's really incredible that he's not even worthy to be a slave. <laughs> and sometimes I, I think I should feel more that way. We're not worthy. We're really not. In John chapter 3, I love this, and 
probably the most famous chapter in the New Testament because of John 3.16. But I love a little bit later what John's trying to say is, you know, all these people are like, what, what's happening? This Jesus is coming in. He's taking your fame. He's, he's taking your ministry. All these people are, they're leaving you. And instead of getting baptized by you, they're getting baptized by him or his disciples. And, and you know, you've heard this before where John says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success, and this is the key. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. That should be the heart of humility of any believer. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Yet he does not leave us less and less. He actually elevates us. We're seated with, with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's what Paul teaches us as well. In a moment, the worship team's gonna come and lead us in, in another powerful song, and there's this line in it, if more of you means less of me, then take everything. The real context here is surrender. We're not worthy, but he is. When we look at that passage from Revelation where these elders, they're, they're, they're laying down their crowns, at the feet of Jesus. Well, Jesus, he's the one who, he actually washed his disciples' feet. He flipped the whole script of what a rabbi and disciple relationship should be. He's like, no, for you it should be different. He's like, I haven't come to, to be served, but to serve. And he did, and he wore a crown of thorns. But it didn't end there because he actually rose victoriously. He is risen. It's not just that he did rise. He is risen. He is alive. We believe this. We want you to accept it as true, even without proof, but we feel like in faith we do have proof. Instead of trying to be our own king, which people have been trying to do since the history of the world, let's place our trust in the one true king. We can receive his grace. We can continue to rely on him. If you haven't received this good news before, if you haven't heard it in this way, as Jesus himself declared that the time promised by God has come at last, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and, and turn and believe in the good news. You want to turn from, but not just from, you want to turn to. You're turning to Jesus. You're turning to the one true king. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your example. We thank you that we... Although we're not worthy, you are, and, and we're thankful that you invite us to come before you, to worship you in this way. We thank you that we get to experience you and understand your word in, in just a little bit more today, and we pray your Holy Spirit would continue to illuminate this to us. Father, as we read your word, we, we don't just simply read it to, to check it off or to finish, but to be changed by you. We believe that your word is living and active. And so we pray that in a powerful way, your Holy Spirit would be working in all of our hearts this morning as we receive this good news, as you help us understand your kingdom, which is crucial to, to understanding what it means to follow you. You're not just someone from the past. You're someone in the present and in the future. You're, you're our king, the one true king worthy of it all, worthy of our, our surrender, of everything. And so if more of you means less of me, then take everything. We pray it in Jesus' name.